Legacy Stories is about immigrants knowing that they're not alone. Legacy Stories is about remembering and honoring where we came from. Legacy Stories is about other people learning about us from our stories. Legacy Stories is about healing generational trauma in community to help us dream bigger and live as ourselves. That is Legacy Stories. Hi everybody, Maria here today. Welcome to Legacy Stories Live. I have a special guest today. I'm going to have a conversation with Maida. So hi, Maida. Welcome to Legacy Stories Live. Hi, thank you for having me today. I feel very special indeed. <laughs> Good. Tell me, tell us, who are you? What do you do? Just a basic intro. <laughs> basic intro because I'm like, who am I? And we go into this philosophical stuff. No, I'm not. No, 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 um, no. Let's not go there yet. <laughs> we'll go later. <laughs> In a nutshell, I am a life and career coach, and I used to be an investment banker. So that's very quick. Ooh. That is a shortcut. Okay. How are you an immigrant? Oh, how am I not an immigrant? <laughs> it's actually... <That> part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my parents, um, my, my father and my mother were themselves immigrants. So, and my grandparents were immigrants as well. I, I come from a, a long lineage of people who had to change countries for a lot of different reasons. Um, but my dad is Armenian Syrian. My mother is Lebanese. I was born in France. Then my parents moved back to Syria. Then they moved back to France again. And um, I worked in France. I worked in the UK, and now I live in the US. So it's like it's it's almost like in my DNA <laughs> to not know what what to call home anymore. <laughs> oh, I love all of this. I'm like, tell me now. Hmm. What? country did you most enjoy living in oh that's a tough question mm. i know <laughs> <laughs> i i can i cannot answer this question because i feel that in each country i had um a lot of open-hearted moments and i had broken-hearted <laughs> hard moments and i had good and bad and sometimes ugly I would say that um, France has a little special place in my heart um, because that was really when um, I came uh, to be, you know, I, I, I moved when I was 11. So it was really early teenage years and they were very tough years for me to, to be an immigrant in France. I'm not exactly blonde, blue eyed. Uh, and I was. I used to speak with an accent as well, which I lost very quickly. Um, but in terms of um, coming to age, <laughs> in a way, France is, is, has a special place in my heart. I love France. I love the French culture. Um, there are a lot of things that I really dislike in France. But if I were to call a place a maybe close to home, it would be France. But here's the thing. In June... Uh, next year, I would have been officially have spent more time in the U.S. than in any other country. So, <laughs> so, 
so somehow uh, we may have this conversation again in, in six months. <laughs> it will not be true anymore. Oh, <laughs> now how did you love like living in Syria? Because your parents partially like are yeah from there. How did that feel to you? Syria is a very difficult country because it's one of those countries that cannot fall into the black or white. Um, mm. Syria is a dictatorship. And when you grow up like me in a dictatorship, um, you live in a state of fear for a long, long, long time. It's something that is almost integrated in me. There is always a fear somehow of something outside of me coming and taking everything away from me. So I, I always, I am still, when I am not conscious of it, um, in that state of somebody is going to come and somebody who is not God, who is not the divine, whatever, is going to come and mess up my life. But Syria is also the country where there is a lot of kindness. There is a lot of uh, solidarity people really help each other there is a sense of community i would say that goes way beyond what we think community is because it's not about a religious thing that you may find in a lot of other countries uh, because it was a secular dictatorship or it is a secular dictatorship there is more a coming together as people who try to help each other. There is this old Middle Eastern hospitality. There is a lot of wisdom in Syrian in the Syrian people that I knew, <laughs> not saying everywhere. Um, but it's also a country that I know I will not go back to. <laughs> so it feels like a bit of a, a bit of a inner conflict of a lost paradise because this is where uh, the people that I love, you know, my grandparents lived. And they were very dear uh, to my heart, <laughs> and, and they don't—they are not there anymore, obviously. Um, but at the same time, it's—it's it's a country that I'm glad I don't live in anymore because I, I don't think I would have the nervous system to, to live through this kind of permanent fear or threat or or I don't know how to qualify this. I I don't I don't think I could. I. I, I, I am in a um, program right now that uses the word trauma a lot. Mm. And especially like childhood trauma. And that word bothers me so much. Because when you're talking about childhood trauma, what I think of trauma, because I grew up in Bosnia, in the war, falling apart of Yugoslavia, and all of our generation, regardless of the nationality, regardless of the religion we have had a war per generation at least one war per generation so when I think of trauma I'm thinking living in countries where like that the dictatorship the war you know could break out at any time all of that unsettling that you have it's not really that's what trauma is it's like I explained it today I'm like I can't like it, the, the word is so unsettling to me and I understand there's some neuro-linguistical programs right now that are working on like literally what words, switching out words can literally switch out how we show up in life. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just not going to call this trauma. Like you guys can call it trauma. I'm just going to call it like tangling. This is childhood tangling. This is how we get programmed. This is what we get from society, from our parents and all of that. 
trauma to me is like bloodbath and murder and like the whole big mess. And what you described with the dictatorship, I'm like, that is trauma. I get it that people sometimes are like, oh, yes, it's traumatic when the child is not picked up by their mother. Yes, that is, I think, tangling. That's part of how we become human. That's how we get our patterns. That's how we, you know, in a way become who we are, right? And we all get that regardless of where. But when you're talking about trauma, I'm like, oh, that, that's the trauma now. Now even you told it, I'm like, this is the differentiation for me. What what do you think? Have you have you gotten a chance to work through some of that? Oh gee, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I'm the kind of person who um can can have irrational behavior towards outside triggers that are absolutely not triggering for anybody else except me. So when I see a police car somewhere. I have a pinch in my heart. Uh, so when I am crossing borders, <laughs> you know, like going on holidays, I am always very scared. And simply because I have been used, and as you say, programmed to think that anybody who is an authority is someone who has a life or death um, kind of power over me or even worse over my family. And definitely when you live in countries like Syria or even in Lebanon, or my family, a big part of my family is also from Lebanon. So the civil war is something that was integrated in my daily life as well, because you could hear the stories. And although you don't live them, you, you integrate them in your body, especially when you're a kid, you're very susceptible, you're, you're a sponge. So for me, yes, there's a trauma. And I worked... Uh, several times in therapy, um, I worked, uh, I did a lot of EMDR, which is very helpful for that because it desensitized me. Um, and I do other therapies and I do and did other therapies. What I find very puzzling for me in terms of detangling and tangling, traumatizing, whatever the words, words, right? And they're important is that I always, whenever I have a, and I always, whenever now, whenever, not a good NLP, whenever I feel a threat from an authority, I go back into that state point where I'm scared the government is going to do harm to me or to my family. It's a very quick switch. Um, I'm not attached to that trauma. I'm not attached to that story. And at the same time, I see how it comes up every once in a while. And I have to make that effort to calm my body, to calm my mind, to go, is that true? Is really, uh, you know, the nice person when you're crossing at JFK or whatever, when you're crossing the border, is, is really this person going to deprive me from my freedoms and liberties and, and my pursuit of happiness? The answer is obviously no. But it's still something that is so profoundly anchored in my body that it, I need to make the conscious effort <laughs> not to feel it. And like, for example, my sister, she doesn't have that. And yet we had the same parents. We lived in the same country for a lesser time. But she, I think she was a bit more protected. I, I guess I was, the, I was older than her. I was more directly involved as well with my parents. So it's definitely as well 
I, I think about it as a collective experience, totally. But also, and this is where it's important, the work that you do and all of these programs that you're doing are so important because it's a it's an individual experience and it's an individual way of reacting. It's not it's not because it was bad on a collective level that everybody is traumatized. And sometimes things can be pretty decent on a collective level. Yet if you didn't feel inside of you the resources or the resourcefulness to feel safe in your body, then you're going to traumatize and re-traumatize yourself as well. Okay, yes. Yeah, I, I'm saying yes to all of that. That was all very good. And I think um, I just recorded an episode before this with my co-host that's going to go out this week because we have stored episodes, but this topic came up about I'm launching a program tomorrow. And what came up was like how my people, like people from ex-Yugoslavia and how even people here and immigrants in general, how much we have trouble asking for help. So I think if you're somebody who's grown up in these kind of regions that are unsettling, number one is like, just so you know, you inherit that stuff. You inherit it in your body, but you also inherit it through your parents, through their behavior. And then if you've experienced it, there's no doubt in me that working with somebody, whoever resonates with you, there's something that you could resolve to have a little bit more patience and understanding and live just a little bit easier. Because sometimes these events, we don't realize. And sometimes it's the shame that we need to admit that something's wrong with us. It's like, look, I'm, I still, I will not carry anything across the border. I yeah. go back home and my parents are like, oh, this, this like smoked meat and this uh, homemade alcohol. And I'm, I'm like, I am not getting stopped at that border. I'm not getting that conversation because for, uh, for me also, it's like, I don't, the people who have power, I don't necessarily trust them either. So it's like, I don't, okay. In America, police is supposed to be for safety and all of this, right? That's not the responses me and you have. Now, I was not like in my country, it's not the same way quite. But still, I won't carry stuff over the border. And if you're having these reactions and you're having like some just I asking for help, realizing that like, okay, maybe I can work through some of that. And I, I just admire people who do ask for help because it's hard. We're also very proud people and we're also raised in a way that it's like, nothing is wrong with us. Why would you share that? Why would you give your weakness to somebody? Like what, what like you, this is just, you're just human. And in a way they're right. We all just human. We all have our own little baggage, but we do live in a world where it's like in the US, we don't have those issues. So it's kind of hard to have a, like the life that you want to have if you're wrapped up in all of this stuff that you bring with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the difficulty I have as well, it's I don't know if it's the right word difficulty, but one of the things that pain me sometimes is that uh, when I share these emotions with friends, they look at me and, and are very puzzled as of as to why do I still think like this? The US is a safe place. Nobody is going to do this to you. And they're right, they're hundred percent right. The problem is that my body does not feel that way. 
so I can convince myself. And it, it takes a lot of my energy to convince myself. And my body continues to shake, to continues or sometimes want to escape and dissociate or whatever. It, it has this kind of abnormal reaction towards or, or a disproportionate reaction. <laughs> but I don't think it's that way either. Like your body is just trying to protect itself because it's literally in it. And as a scientist, as somebody who started as a mindset coach, a lot of the stuff for me is about the mind and about the head and understanding. It turns out the more I'm diving into this work that a lot of the stuff and I, how I explain it, it's like literal energy that we use gets stored in our body. It does not get used up. It stays in there. It gets trapped. So it's like you can't just stop doing it. There's a reason. There's like a pathway in your brain. It's like danger. Duh, duh, duh. Like things that there's, there's like biological things that happen for you when things happen in the outside world. So mindset coaching sometimes and just changing your perspective doesn't really work. Nope, it doesn't. You need, <laughs> and I'm the first one to tell you, EMDR is very good, but it doesn't, it's not enough. You need to do therapies or any kind of body work that puts you back into the body and that helps you get reacquainted with being safe in your body. And sometimes it's, there are a lot of, there are so many therapies or so many modalities out there so literally to your point, work with a mindset coach, sure, but that will not be enough. It's good to start there because it puts you in a, say, in a state where you can talk yourself into going back into a form of safety, but it stays very intellectual and the body still carries all of these nods and traumas or these like dark places. And then you go and do therapies or whatever you want to call them that will help you work with the body. And I, there are so many of them. And it really, the, my, my advice to people is talk to people that have been going through something, you know, similar, um, see what works for them, see what resonates with you. Sometimes you have some very much outside the box um, modalities that could be maybe too much for your nervous system, be kind to your nervous system. But maybe there are things that with time you can do like little steps um, that get you to that outside the box. And then there, there is a form of liberation. But definitely to your point, do not be passive and do not think that it's normal to be in that state of suffering. Because, you know, I, I think there is a level, I'm not, I don't know how to, to phrase that. We create our own toxicity in a way inside yes. our body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we need to detox. And walk, uh, talking talking is a form of detox, but there is so much you can do. What helps as well is to have the talking and saying to the body, you know, you're safe. There is like being touched by someone, being loved. Um, sometimes, you know, the, some people do biomagnetic stuff, some people do tantra, whatever you do, do something that for the moment make you feel safe in your body. And at the same time, once you start feeling that oh, I'm, I'm feeling good right now, see what you can do to challenge yourself to the next step and take it to the plate, to a place where you're comfortable saying, okay, 
um, like me, I know that that there will be times where I'm still, you know, I still have this pinch in my heart when I cross borders. I, I know that it's probably going to be for me for a long time, but at the same time, my body reactions are by far less than they used to be five or 10 years ago. So for example, after 9-11, for me being Middle Eastern and crossing into the US was not exactly very pleasant, as you can imagine. So there was a lot of working on myself and, and telling myself, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, whatever happens, happens. I have the mental strength to face whatever could happen. And right now I'm safe. It's really right now. <laughs> this is the, the tough part is to convince yourself that right now you're okay. And it's, it's hard. It's very hard. I have to say. Yes. I, a lot of my original thought work was about just using that in this in in the moments when you're just like losing your shit over things mm-hmm. in life just using that i am safe in my body right now like in this moment in my body it doesn't mean outside feels very safe but that is something that i've used um and that really is like kind of realized i realized that what is like brings me down enough where i can recognize this is the inside right now, and that's outside. So, like, outside, this thing is happening where, like, my kids are screaming and fighting. Inside, I am losing my mind because of whatever my mind is saying. So, it's like, really, look, my kids are healthy. I'm fine. I'm safe here. Like, and just, like, not that, like, distancing, almost creating a distance from the outside and the inside and then from the inside and yourself being safe in the body. It's something that, but that requires courage. And some people don't have the courage and it's like, it's okay. Not everybody's there all the time. And I realized I used to, for a long time for me, I remember when I was in college. So the way that I would get out of my mind stuff was like, I just need to watch Netflix. And I felt bad about watching Netflix for a long time. It's not like I had a, you know, drug addiction and I was drinking alcohol or like being a bad girl in any way. I was just watching Netflix and sometimes a lot of it. And now I'm like, oh no, I was just surviving. I was just giving myself whatever break I needed to get out of that mental space. And now I'm like, oh yeah, that's almost like part of my, like what I call feeding my soul. I give myself what I need. If I need to go sit down and watch a K-drama, yeah. I am totally also a person who believes that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel all the emotions. They're not going to kill us. But there's literally moments when you're feeling like it will swallow you whole. So it's nice to have something to to lessen that. So I see people, my people, a lot of them, especially these older generations that have gone through this war as adults and their parents, a lot of drinking, a lot of like smoking, a lot of like a lot of stuff that people are like frown upon in this generation. And I'm like, all of these people have witnessed things and gone through things that are very heavy and hard. And this is the way they lessen their pain. And they're like, they deal with it. So it's almost given me to a point where now I have compassion for something that I, as younger version, might've judged 
Like, why are they drinking so much? What is happening with all of my people? What is happening? And, and it's like, oh, because it hurts inside and they don't know what to do. So you just go for the thing that helps, that lessens the pain. And it's normal. And it's human. And it's human yes. to want to escape. It's human. And it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's also, um, I think the compassion, I'm going to take the compassion to, to also another level is that we have tools today that they didn't know about at that time. So for them, because as you said, they saw their parents were probably there. I mean, the war in Eastern Europe is, is nothing new. It has been going on for a long, long, long time. Um, so in the Middle East, obviously. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think that, you know, they, they developed coping mechanisms. And these were some of them. I think it's it's also um, how can I say that? I think we need to find as well a way to forgive what they have done, what our parents and their parents have done. There is a lot of things that we judge from where we are sitting, but we don't know what it was like. I don't know what it could have been for my parents to be two young married married couple my dad going be sent to the to the army you know and my mother and two daughters and I, I don't know what it is I mean I can very much imagine but I don't know right and I don't really want to know to be extremely honest so I don't know what they had to do I don't know why um my, my parents don't don't do any of that it's you know it, I'm going to say the Syrian mentality is a pretty moderate mentality as well. So it's not something that you, uh, at least not publicly. Um, but at the same time, um, I think our chance of um, healing this ancestral trauma in a way is also to have the kindness to say they did what they could. And if drinking and smoking and partying or numbing or whatever is their way, well, you know what? It worked because I'm here. So it means yeah. that they survived. That's it. Yes. <laughs> it's a survival mechanism. And that's what they did. And you know what? Even though wars, for a long time as a kid, when I moved to this country, I was a little angry. I had that anger. I could not understand. But then right now, being a little bit older, just a couple of years older, <laughs> and I can see that it's like nobody really means harm politicians you know their weird way decide that this is the best thing for their people so I keep going back to this good and bad thing it's like oh this is bad and this is good not many people in the world outside of Hitler and few others maybe decide that like this is what we're doing because like we hate something usually people make decisions from the space this is what's best for my people and they don't think about the other side so like a lot of wars start because you're thinking about your people, about like trying to like, you know, you're, you're in your own. So you make this otherness. And then when there's otherness, you can create the war, you can do this. But I don't think it comes from, so like going really deep for me is like understanding this thing that's like, oh, it's not like any side is really at fault. All the politicians probably wanted what was best, what they thought was best. Because being doing mindset work, you understand that people cannot go into politics. 
with bad intentions. Nobody's going to vote for them. <laughs> like if you're not somebody who's honest and you really want something good for the people, people feel it. They're not going to vote you into the office. Whoever you are, I don't care. <laughs> but like there's some good intentionality there. So understanding that also is like you, you, you get these people and you can a little bit heal and understand that it's like, okay, okay, nobody's like, because we really naturally humanly um, with our religions and political system and everything, like how we're raised is like good and bad, good and bad. And it's like, but what if it's neither? What if it's not bad? What if it's not good? What if it's just like, it just is and it's hard to accept. Yeah, we, we, we want, victims are glorified and perpetrators are, you know, want to be killed in, in the most horrible ways. So we need both, right? We are in cultures that need the victim and the perpetrator because otherwise we're bored. I don't know. We, we, we don't know. It's very confusing, right? You need something clear. The mind wants something clear. Um, but I, I'm going to say that, I'm going to call that the past enlightenment, which is a, a very arrogant way of saying things. It's not, I don't think we'll ever be, at least not me, I will ever be enlightened. But I think the path to more inner peace and to more maybe better relationships with others is to understand that yes there are victims yes there are perpetrators but we are all perpetrators in our own, own way and sometimes we also have victimized others not not sometimes intentionally and sometimes it wasn't intentional at all so of course when i'm guessing you and i we did something not very glorious by someone else, it doesn't have the same impact as a someone who has nuclear or, uh, nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> it's a bit yeah. different. But if we go into more, um, the inside word is a representative as well of the outside word, then we realize that we make bad decisions too. And, and sometimes it comes from a really... Um, a really good intention that we think is a good intention as in but I was just defending myself or he had he she they had it coming um, if we were to extend this I'm not saying to forget it's not about forgetting because you know there are so many second chances you can give to people and also it's about discernment we really need to be very discerning who we give our attention and who we give our energy to but if we went to, a, to being a bit more human and to see that we are at fault as well, that sometimes people do things, you know what they say, like um, hell is paved with good, good intentions, if there's something like this, then forget politicians. Let them do whatever they want to do. Let them whatever, but go back to the human in front of you. He may be of a different culture, of a different religion, of a different ethnicities. They too, what they want is to provide and to protect their families. And sometimes they are driven to extremes because that is the only way they have. And otherwise, the alternative is dying probably or, or not surviving or whatever it is. And I think the more we put ourselves, maybe it's empathy as well, we, the more we put ourselves into other people's shoes and understand, and I'm saying accepting or agreeing with, but just understanding why they do what they do, then we will be healing much more on this earth <laughs> than our ancestors or their ancestors. At the end of the day, 
when you look at somebody else who has hurt you, even like, you know, in, as an individual or somebody who did wrong by you, and you realize that this person did it because they were in a bad place that day, that it's not personal, you stop taking things personally, most of them, some of them it, it is, but most of them is not. And you decide, you know what, I understand why they did that. I don't agree with that. It's not for me, but I understand. Then that other poison that we, we you know, the clinging to the anger or whatever, all of a sudden it, dissol- it takes time, but it dissolves. Again, it doesn't mean forgetting. We don't forget, but we forgive. We just move on, basically, and not spend our time clinging to a person, an act, or a, an event in a history. Yes, because in the end, it does not harm anybody else but us. Because it is us who are unsettled, who are hanging on to it, who are reliving it and recreating it for ourselves. Because the other person does not feel it. But that is a very good idea. Yeah, because that's how we, literally how we create change is one human at a time. The purpose of this podcast is to come on and share our stories of one of the purposes as immigrants and to bring out that we're all human that we all do the same things, that we all have these same experiences. And maybe we were just like, we're all different in our own way because every experience I've heard is different. But there's always that humanity. We all want to be seen, heard, you know. And that's why we're all here. So bringing it closer so people, when they know us, they can understand us better. Yeah, that people have fears. What they fear is that they're going to lose something. So anytime somebody does not like immigrants, try to see, or does like you as an immigrant, try to see what is the fear behind it. What, what, do, what do they think you are taking away from them? And sometimes it's tradition, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's a job, I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, I think it also helps not to make of the other person an enemy, even if they think you are the enemy, leave them <laughs> with their own intentions, karma, or their own life, their own life lessons. It's their problem. It's not yours. Um, there is there is a part of me when I was in France that um, I, I have been trying to heal for a long time. And that part was me not being accepted for who I was. Because again, I'm not blonde. I'm not, you know, I was talking with an accent I was a bit different and it's very difficult to be different it's very difficult especially when you're a teenager or I was I was just before my teenage years or throughout my teenage years I was always different it's very difficult to be different it's especially when you are in in that in that environment that is schools right (laughs) where everybody knows everyone everybody has their own tribe or whatever you want to call it and you're the outsider you're permanently the outsider but i think as well and this is maybe one of the messages is that each of our histories and our stories is also a, a call for us to find that same love that we didn't receive at that time, but to give it to others. So that if you have someone who is different and you feel that this person feels rejected, unloved, unnoticed, whatever, going through that yourself gives you an extra added bonus of compassion. It just says, well, listen, I, it wasn't easy 
for me to to be the outsider to be the new person um it was very difficult uh, it really you know scarred me for a long time so i'm going to extend to you the things that i would have liked to have in that moment and this goes for all immigrants um whatever their their economic background whatever the reason they have immigrated i think the, the kindest thing to do is to be tolerant and to extend almost a hand not to give them much of anything but to to give them the benefit of the doubt and to open our minds as well um one of the things that is very has been very puzzling for me as an immigrant as well because um i did not have that and it wasn't my upbringing and maybe because it's syria is a bit different i i do not know really but there is in my family at least there is less the sense of community so my family has always been open to other people and when we immigrated to france and even now i have friends from across the globe i have friends from all sorts of nationalities and i find that great <laughs> for the lack of a better word is that you know when you go outside your community it's good to have your community it's good to have people that understand you you can share your culture the food and a lot of different things you have a lot in common it's also good to open up to other cultures and to other communities so that you become also a bridge between all of these little pockets that sometimes don't want to talk to each other yet we will get richer if we we mix up if we talk to each other it's just like okay i'm not the only one and like your podcast it's about giving other people as well a voice that reach their their own community but many other communities and so we see the human in us and and we stop seeing the enemy or the or maybe the belief that we have about you know this community being this and this and that um the more we do that and thank you for doing that and the more we open up to others and the better we will be also as ourselves and as humans yes we bring back the human we take away the other now i want to ask a different question we have a little bit of time so i want to dive into like how was it being a banker <laughs> tell me how you <laughs> end up being a banker that sounds like a interesting profession it it is investment banker is a very interesting profession when you're an immigrant and when you're a woman <laughs> um literally you're you're very different from anybody else to begin with but it's also a very interesting place to be because because finance is something that is international there is by far less doubts or are you know aside eyes as like, what is she doing here exactly um being a banker you require um a thick skin which unfortunately i didn't have so i had to develop um very little sleep uh, i used to wake up at 4 in the mornings because i was working with asia and go to bed at 9 in the evening because i was working with asia and i was working with a lot of different countries in the meantime um it requires handling stress the best you can So the first years I wasn't handling stress well the following years it got worse and worse <laughs> and the last two years I get cancer so um it's really about 
um, I think it's it's a very enriching experience because the people you meet are very interesting. There are like literally, I know people in every country on earth, more or less every continent on earth. I know people from South Africa, from Gabon, from Ivory Coast, from Morocco, uh, the Middle East, all Asia, all Europe, all the Americas. So that is awesomeness. That is great. Wow. Um, nice. Right, the very few professions give you this access. What is less interesting is this amount of pressure that you have on you all, literally all the time. There isn't a moment where you can just sit because if you have a moment of idle time, then your brain goes into "I'm not busy." They're going to fire me because they can fire you at any time. Um, and being fired from investment banking is, or even being laid off from investment banking is pretty brutal. I mean, it's brutal everywhere, but it's particularly there because it's it's literally you, it's one, 30 seconds. Um, so they're, they're good, bad, and ugly. Um, I loved working with men. Uh, they were always, they, I was very lucky that the people I was working with were um, with an integrity, were highly uh, kind were very generous and very protective of me which was nice <laughs> and then you know I had my share of working with jerks I was going to say another word but I thought you know let's let's keep it civilized I, I you know you meet those you meet those and uh, they're not a legend they are everywhere but in banking in particular because one of the things about banking is that in certain places um, the more money you bring and the more jerky you can be and this is very painful <laughs> to witness and to experience when, when you are on, on that other side. But other than that, um, I, I have to say something is that a lot of people see Wall Street and finance as being, you know, greed is good and blah, blah, blah. It's true. There is this mentality. If you go in, again into the collective hype of, but what if we decided to do what we that we were doing earlier is just go into the individuals and then you see a very different picture because most of the people and i'm going to say 90 percent of the people are men and women who have gone through very challenging colleges and you know throughout their years they always had to be the best they didn't have much time for leisure or for fun or whatever who work their ass off to provide for their families that's about it. So yeah. some of them take that a mile too far and everything is about, right? Everything is, I'm here, you know, like politicians, I'm here to defend my family and like, no, 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 that, no, no, that doesn't work anymore. But for most people they are literally there to make a good living and to provide for their families and to provide for their kids so that they can have a nice life as well. Nice. Where did you go to college? In France, oh, I did all my I did all my studying in France. It's it's a bit different from here, but it's nice. It's very nice. I still yes, have my very... friends from the, from those times. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, but uh, now before we end, I want to ask you if you have one message to people who are listening who are immigrants. What would you tell them? Like one thing that's kind of crossing your heart these days. Yes, don't be ashamed of who you are do not be ashamed and do not apologize 
for your upbringing, for your ethnicity, for your community. That, that's number one. Number two, it's not because someone from your community behaves badly that it reflects on you. So my message is twofold, is you are not your community and your community is not you. And there is nothing really to be ashamed of either way. So go back into your values, go back into your essence, live the life that you want, not your community and not your family and not your parents. You want. Before being part of a community, you were an individual. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. I'm like, you're giving us really hard stuff. <laughs> Being a when you when you're a part of community, you have rules. Yes. And it's it's very interesting the rules that we have in our communities as immigrants. You know, these immigrant communities, they kind of we stay safe when we're in the communities, right? Like we get that emotional safety, but also you have to follow the rules because it gets really hard and you do get that shame and you do get almost like sometimes even kicked out of the community for that. So that's like a lot of uh, safety and that lot of uh, survival mechanism kicks in and all of that. So we don't want to be kicked out of community. We want those people to like us and to respect us and to do the right thing. But you are right because we sometimes have this desire to do something and then we have the fear. And the funny thing is many times the fear that we have it's not true. It's just like yeah. the story we tell ourselves because many people in our community actually are supportive of us and we would get that support, but we like as a way how I think our human brain works, it's trying to like in the future predict what's bad so it can protect us. We're trying to protect ourselves and then staying. So I would add on to your message that's really powerful. It's like if you're thinking that you have to follow these rules, you're probably just the one thinking it, right? Like, have you yeah. talked to anybody about this? Probably chances are you would be okay. Yeah, I think your parents love you. It's, it's, this is one of the things that I also want to tell people is that we think that because our parents told us when we were 10 years old, I want you to marry this person or I want you to have this and stay stuck. And then we take we make all of these decisions and we're 40 years old and we're still stuck in that. And in reality, it's not true. It's just not true. Parents say these things to us because they want to protect us, because they love us. But what do they really want? They want their kids to be happy. They want their kids to be fulfilled in life. And if, if, if you have your kids who are going to break rule and they're not doing any harm, to anyone you're going to love them even more you're going even maybe to envy them because at the end of the day if parents have immigrated to this country is to give their kids a better life and a better life could also be a life with more adventure with more openness with maybe more richness as well so mm. if you want to follow the rules follow the rules if you feel that the rules are stifling you and discuss maybe it's all in your head as you said and maybe it's just a belief and there's really not not a lot of concrete any evidence of it thank you Maida I really love this I feel like <laughs> our conversation was just amazing so thank you for coming on and thank, thank you for you. everybody for listening <laughs> bye bye <you>. bye <laughs> Of course, we are grateful for all of you who listen. So, 
we would like to ask you all. Can you share us with all of your friends, family, social media acquaintances? We want more people to hear us basically in the next year. Love you all. Hear you next time.